Voluntary Input is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. tonight is going to share uh, a little bit about her life story and how she has managed to turn her struggles around uh, into some positive inf uh, inspiration. Please welcome Taylor Turn Time to the show. Good evening, miss. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, for a while there, I got into the habit of asking people how was 2020, but I don't know if I want to ask that anymore because I think the answer is always the same. <laughs> but how was it? I could tell you a couple good things that came out of 2020. <laughs> That's always good to hear. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we could do that. We could we could get there later. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, I, I bet everyone's wondering. I mean, I was telling people weeks in advance. You know, I want to have people on who can share some of their stories, uh, not to, you know, in a way to help us kick off 2021 better. Uh, so I came across your profile and I thought, wow, she's, she's pretty amazing, pretty inspirational. So can you just tell everybody about yourself? And so people can say, well, why is she even here? So, <laughs> um, so my name is Taylor Turntime and I am a recent graduate from the university of North Carolina, Greensboro, and I'm applying to, um, my, um, to grad school now to get my master's. And I, I think I'm here because um, God put me in this space well, yeah. <laughs> to have the conversation <laughs> about what it means to survive the foster care system and different challenges throughout your life that you are able to be um, resilient. And that's what I've done. That's awesome. Now, we actually, um, people who know me, uh, we actually our foster care family ourselves uh wow. we've had a few placements we still have two little girls in the house now and they're pretty rambunctious but uh oh no. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're they're young so you know how yeah. it goes so so uh if, if you wouldn't mind how long were you know could you give us a little more background on that how long were you in the foster care system so i was placed in foster care at the age of two and i went back home to my mom at the age of four and um, again, I went back to foster care. That was in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then um, we moved a lot. Like my mom would just up and move. We lived in Ohio, Detroit, um, Ohio, uh, where else? Atlanta. Um, we lived in so many different places, but we ended up in New York. Um, we I lived in Philadelphia too. Um, so we ended up in New York. And while I was in New York, I went back to foster care at the age of nine, I want to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm until 21. Oh, wow. So, so you did, um, they call it aged out. You aged out of the system. Yes. yes. I aged out of the system and, um, 
yeah, I just didn't, at, at, at some point you just, I started to not see going back home as, you know, the answer or um, I wasn't getting adopted because usually it's harder for older kids to get adopted. So yeah. I just decided I would just stay and age out. <laughs> That's something that I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't really think about it until we were in the process of getting licensed about, you know, and I don't think most people do. We just see all these kids are in foster care, yada, yada, yada. But I don't think people tend to think what happens as you get older. Mm -hmm. and what actually aging out can mean for a lot of people. Yeah, um, for me, it, uh, it was definitely hard aging out of foster care because um, my transitional home, because I didn't have any family, mind you, I'm all the way in New York City. I don't, right. my mom didn't know anyone. She just upped and moved us to New York. Um, there was, I lost a lot of the connections that I did have with family here and just so happened just so happened. Um, while I was in New York, before I aged out of care, a couple of years, actually, I want to say when I was 14, I met a cousin who was in New York, a random cousin that I didn't know I had, but I was, I knew her mother, mm -hmm. but I didn't know her children. I knew her mom like high and by, but her, me and that cousin built an amazing relationship. And so when I aged out of foster care, I was so nervous that I wouldn't have a transitional home. And I did not. <laughs> My transition was college. And I just felt I had to stay in college because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And that was like the, I love learning already. But my biggest thing is if I leave college, I will be homeless. Right. And luckily, once I left college and most, um, a lot of foster kids don't have this. If you don't have any, if you don't have any family, um, it's hard to uh, go out of college and then transition to a home. It's like you figure it out. Right. And just so happened, I met that cousin who connected me to another cousin and we became extremely close. And so once I left college, I was able to transition to my cousin. Well, that's that's amazing. That's that's great, because um, far too often, uh, even here, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, even here, we we see stories of kids. They hit 18 and it's like, OK, see ya, And then they yeah. have nowhere to go. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of them end up homeless, like yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. So, so all along this time, how did you manage to keep your head up? Mm, I, I don't, I was a, just a, I don't want to say a weird kid, but I was very <laughs> different. I, um, even when I was living at home with my mom, I used to think that I would invent something so great. <laughs> no, I would call at the age of like eight years old. I would try to call and in, um, invention companies and get this idea I had in my head patent and tell them I can't tell them because I didn't want them to steal my idea. So I was I was just a different kid. Um, and so I, when I was in foster care, the streets of New York, they definitely, you know, they did their share of work on me. Um, I was involved in things that I had no business. Um, sometimes I found myself hanging with kids that were in crack homes, you know, and I mm -hmm. ended up in those homes, sometimes sleeping there um, with them. And it was something in, within me um, that just constantly pulled me away from those things. Right. I was selling drugs in school. It was something that constantly told me, this isn't for you, Taylor. Everything you need lives inside of you. You don't have to try to please or try to be like the crowd. Um, so I joined different 
organizations. I joined peer leadership. And that took me away from the kids that were no good or fighting all the time. Um, I joined a program called Impact Repertory Theater, who um, and my mentor there was a former former Black Panther. So, oh. <laughs> so him, he introduced me to Harry Belafonte. He introduced me to Angela oh. Davis. And so I started, um, I was just always constantly in spaces and surrounded by people that pulled me away from the things that I did not belong to or part of, you know? And so, um, and those spaces felt way more comfortable and way more like Taylor than the things I was running to. The New York streets were thrown in my face that it saying that it had to offer me. Right. Well, let me tell you, you don't have to be a foster kid to find yourself in those situations. And, uh, I, and it's funny you say that because I was the same way. Um, I was, you know, back then we just called ourselves nerds and still to this day. Yeah. So I was, you know, I would try to fit in with those people, you know, and I I would have some fun, you know, we can't lie. There was fun to be had, but like you, like you just said, I was always like, you know, this really isn't me though. I'm not, I'm not this guy. So, well, you know, wow. Harry Belafonte and those guys, huh? Yeah. I met a lot of people. Um, there is another person and I can't remember her name. And I actually, I would sign myself up for organizations. Um, uh, what is her name? I can't remember, but she's a, um, a celebrity. And I was a part of, I signed myself up for her program. And every night I would just go. Um, uh, I can't remember her name. Oh, it'll come to you later. You'll be in bed and you'll go, oh, I remember the name now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, you mentioned a former Black Panther. What, mm. you know, um, I, I think more people know now, but I think a lot of times when people think of the Black Panthers, they think of this militant group. But um. what a lot of people have to understand was the history of the Black Panthers. They started off as community development. That's what yes. they were all about. So that's why you still see some of the former members are still in these volunteer roles and these right. mentorship roles because that's what they were all about. And then, you know, the truth be told, politics got in the way and certain yeah. people got the big head and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it yeah. basically ripped them apart. So that's a little history lesson for tonight for people who didn't know. <laughs> so, uh, so while I was, you know, it, it always sounds weird, but while I was researching you further, uh, I came across, uh, you were in the New York times once. Uh-huh. And yeah. I actually have that pulled up here. You look a little angry. What was that about? Why you look mad? Um, I don't know. We took several pictures and that was a picture they decided to use. That was all on them. I had no <laughs> say so. <laughs> So what was what was this all about? Why were you in the New York Times? Um, so I had decided huh, I was um, like I said, I would join these different programs. So I decided that I would join my foster care agency on a trip to Albany and speak to policymakers. And um, while speaking to them, I let them know straight up, like, you guys are setting us up for failure. Um, mm-hmm. So I, de- I decided that I wouldn't go to my um, 
prom because I just didn't have the support. I didn't feel like no one was, would be there to buy me a dress or it would just be too much. I watched my sister at the last minute um, go scramble through H&M and try to find her dress. And nothing's wrong with H&M. She looked gorgeous. Um, but it was just the process of just no support and just watching her go through such unorganized and un you know she she was able to do all of the things that she wanted to but she was really scraping for money her boyfriend was a drug dealer and she was getting money from him to do things and i was just like you know what i don't want any parts of that no mm -hmm. thanks so i expressed that to them i let them know like you have kids out here with really high gpas and you're giving them the bare minimum to tell them thank you for doing such an amazing job you're right. doing the, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make anyone feel, it doesn't make you feel as if you are going out into the world the way the other kids are. Right. Or your other peers, like your other peers are going out and they're look. they have pictures being taken, their families are there. And it's just like, you're going and you're, you, your mom's not there, your dad's not there. So it just, it just feels very naked. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They sent you money or? So when I spoke about that, someone was there, um, someone by the name of Fabienne, she was there, she worked for the Children's Aid Society at the time. And she basically, she found me on Facebook and she just kept looking for me and she kept like getting, reaching out, trying to get in contact with me. And she finally got in contact with me and she let me know, like she made a Facebook post and she got people to donate um, so that I can have my makeup and my hair done. And I can, um, and I could feel just so amazing on that day. Um, right. And then later on after that, the New York times reached out to me and they wanted to know what made me so dedicated to learning and to reaching the point of going to my prom and graduating. Well, and I think it's because I'm sure you came across pretty unique to them because I'm sure at the time everybody was like, oh, you know, people tend to think, oh, this poor foster kid, they must be depressed yeah. all the time. But here yeah. you're out, you're going and going and going. And that's why they're like, why, why are you like that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I will say that um, I, I had a lot of influences around me. Um, I was, I would lit at the time I was my foster mother, I, I had two foster homes in New York City, a very horrible foster mother in mm. the first one. And the second one was a professor at Columbia University. And so I was already dedicated to school and she just took that dedication and she really, really pushed me. So people were like, wow, but they didn't know what was going on at home. Like I had someone right. there encouraging me. That's good. That's always great. Cause yeah, yeah. some people don't. And yeah. even you know, people not in foster care, sometimes you just don't have that support and it's unfortunate because, you know, life really is about community and relationships. So, yes. and you're, I think you're a perfect example of that. Now, you know, 2020, we were talking about a little earlier, it was definitely a challenge for, for everybody, but, um, what are some things that challenged you personally and how did you meet those challenges? But you said you have some, some positive things to share about it too. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, so I don't look at 2020 as a challenge, like at all. Like the biggest thing, yes, COVID happened, and a lot of people were affected by this, by um, the coronavirus. And but there is so many good things that came from the year, such you know? as. <laughs> um. So for me, I discovered how to not be a people pleaser mm. and step up 
for the stand up for myself and say the things that I wanted. Um, I started going to therapy to heal myself from things that had happened in my past that I did not understand. I start, I'm starting to write a book. Like I'm, I'm at the end. <laughs> um, and just like goal settings, um, being able to set goals and, um, dedicate myself to myself, investing in myself. I learned so much from 2020, just being able to have that time to pause on everything else around me and say, Taylor, you are the focus. Allow yourself to be. Awesome. And I, you know, sorry. I have to, sorry, I don't have anything negative to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to be honest. I've, I've told people that a lot too, you know, for, for us, not a lot changed either. Yeah. You know, um, my wife and I, neither of us lost our jobs. You know, we both work in healthcare. So in one capacity or another, but if anything, I got busier. Um, and I understand, you know, a lot of people that staying at home and people are talking about now that I have all, have all this free time. I'm like, what free time are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and I do have to agree with you. I think, um, you know, I learned a lot too. I did have some time to re uh, reflect and work on other things too. So mm -hmm. I have to agree. Yeah. It, for them. And thankfully, uh, I didn't lose anyone, you know, so yeah. far, I uh, had a sister that got real sick with it, but she pulled through. So other than that, yeah, I got to agree with you. So, yeah. so, uh, what kind of opportunities do you, do you see yourself, uh, engaging in going forward? Mm, I don't know. Only the future knows, like, has that answer right now. I'm just in the present. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm hoping for, um, to finish my book and hopefully get it picked up. Um, I'm hoping for, to get accepted to all of the schools I apply to. I don't know. what. Well, you can't go I to all of them. Sorry. You can't go to all of them. I can't go, but I want to be accepted oh, to okay. them. I don't I want to turn them down. I don't want them to turn me down. Ah, that, okay, you flipped a little bit. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> now, you uh, in your bio, you also talk about you want to remind young people, all walks of life, that uh, goals are important. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, so I just, I realized that... Um, when you are so focused on not setting a tone for yourself or goals for yourself, you're more susceptible to follow the crowd. Mm -hmm. And it's just like small goals are important. And when you give yourself a goal, you're giving yourself a destination. Even if you venture off and you know you veer off and you do something else, you still have a destination. For example, um, Jamal Joseph, who's the former um, former Black Panther who mentored me, he would always ask me, um, Taylor, what college are you going to? And I would say, oh, I'm going to blah, blah college. And he told me, okay, pick one college and stick to it. <laughs> so I finally picked one college, can't remember the name of it. And I stuck to that college and I kept telling him every day, this is the college I'm going to, this is the college I'm going to, this is the college I'm going to. I did not go to that college, but I did go to college, right? And so what he was doing is he was setting me up to position myself in a direction. And so that's just my advice for all young people. Set a goal for yourself because it gives you a destination. It gives you a direction to go in. A guiding light. Yes. What is your major in, by the way? My major was sociology, um, but now I am applying for a pu um, public policy program. Public policy. You want to be a politician? Not a politician. You may be the first female president someday. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't turn it down, right? 
Because <laughs> I've heard jokes about who could possibly be the first female president, but we won't talk about that. That's another show. You can save it for another show. <laughs> and then you also talk about being in service to, this was my favorite thing that you said, service to friends, family, and your community is a uh -huh. recipe for growth. And uh -huh. a lot of what you talked about, your whole, your, your life story is an example of why that's important. But for the young people, especially listening, can you explain a little bit more why you think that's important for growth? So, um, Throughout my experience, I thought that everything I was doing was because of me. I thought that I was the person that got me to all of these places until I sat back and I realized, no, it was because people were being of service to me and I was being of service back to them that I was able to get to where I am. And not saying that I'm in movies and all of these places, but I'm not ill. I'm not on drugs. I'm not in the place that I could be. There is a big gap between where I was when I was in foster care, that very traumatic child and who I am now. And it would not have been possible if I did not allow these people to be a service to me. And the only way I can repay those people that's been in my life is by doing it back to others. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. And I, I've literally lived my entire life like that, especially now for me, it was a bit different. My parents were that way. Uh, you know, it's all about you know, loving one another, especially was always a big thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so yeah, it, I would be a disservice to my parents if I ended up in some of those places and I couldn't, I just can't have that. So <laughs> now looking at some of your posts, I mean, you, you tend to post a lot of inspirational and thoughtful things, very wise beyond your years. I must say, where does, oh, wow. where does this stuff come to you? I mean, you just sit up at night and go tomorrow, I'm going to say, or does it just. Oh, um, sometimes I'm up late at night and I, it just, I, it's just, sometimes they, they really just come to me. Mm -hmm. I'm up late at night or I'm driving in my car or I wake up really early in the morning and I'm taking my shower, getting ready. And I'm like, you know what? This is what needs to be said today. And I can't hold it in because if I hold it in, I'm I'm doing a service to myself, but a disservice to the people in life. Right. <laughs> and so that's how those <laughs> things come out. <laughs> or if you're like me, I'll have something like that pop in my head. If I don't get it out, I'll forget it. Yes. And then it's just gone. I'm like, what was I thinking? And then you can never get it right back the way it was before it doesn't sound right anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So well, we already talked about, you said you want to get accepted in every college and mm -hmm. your book, do you want to talk about what it's going to be about or? Ooh. Oh, you know what? Going, sorry to backtrack, but the no, person no. Um, was Mary J. Blige. I was a part of Mary J. Blige's program. Um, wait, she, wait, wanted... wait, 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 wait. You <laughs> forgot? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> You forgot Mary? Oh my god. I did. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> let me write that down. <laughs> I can't believe it. I did. Wow. Mm. Anyway, so <laughs> your book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so about my book, I'll just give a small briefing about what um what my book is about. Um, I'm in the editing process of my book, so Things are really coming together. Um, so the message that I'm really, I really want to get across to readers is that everything you need lives inside of you. If it's confidence, if it's courage, if it's to be resilient, um, it, it's already there. 
Um, you just it just takes time for you to discover it. Um, also, just exploring my life and seeing how the different things. My mom was a, was a prostitute. My mom married my sister off when she was 15 years old to a 30 year old. So it was just so many traumatic experiences that I lived through and that I could have easily said, you know what, off with this. I'm going to go and I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. But I did not do it. And it's someone out there that has had similar experiences that have decided to make the same choices I have. And that's just the book is just a reminder to say, look, you can do anything as long as you don't give up. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You, you basically broke a cycle. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm still working slow and steady. That is awesome. So when do you expect to have it done? Oh, I don't want to give a date. <laughs> okay. Let me just say that when you Wait, are wouldn't, editing, that, wouldn't that be a goal? Huh? No. My goal is to finish. <laughs> My goal is to finish. Okay, okay. Um but um I'm just nervous to give a date because while I'm throughout my editing process, I'm learning that you, we, you, you tend to write more as you edit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're like, Oh, someone will make a comment or your editor makes a comment and you're like, Oh yeah, I can add that. And so it makes the timeline fluctuate. I have a friend who just finished her book and it, I swear it was like four or five years. And she would always say, if I ever get it done and it was because of a lot of editing, like you said, she, she just couldn't stop writing once she would start editing. She'd write more. It was, yeah, but <laughs> I guess that's how it goes. Yeah. Well, Taylor, once again, I want to thank you. And I hope that your story and how you've moved forward and you continue to move forward does in fact inspire and encourage anyone out there, especially in this day and age where things for a lot of people, everything just seems so dark, but like you explained, not really. I mean, it all depends on how you approach it, basically. Yeah, that's true. So thank you for coming on and sharing with us. And, but wait, I got one last question. This one's a little controversial. I don't know if you have a have an answer for it, but I've seen it ripping people off, uh, you know, ripping people apart. Um, pancakes or waffles? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's actually really hard. <laughs> Waffles. <laughs> Waffles, definitely. <laughs> and you're from the South, so you had the, the chicken and waffle experience. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> you know, when I first heard that, I was like, who in the world would eat chicken and waffles? I, it didn't make sense to I me. I went to go try it and found out, well, well, I would eat it. Well, then I was like, why? I, yeah, once I tried it, I was like, why am I just now eating chicken and waffles? This is amazing. <laughs> so definitely waffles. Definitely waffles. All right. So you hear it here, people. The wise Taylor Turntime has told you that waffles are better than pancakes. So the, the question can be put to rest. <laughs> well, thank you once again, Taylor, for joining us. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. You finish the book, you can come and plug it and do whatnot. Okay. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And you're more than welcome. Uh, join us again here next week, next Tuesday, nine o'clock. Um, not even sure what the, not even sure what we're doing next week, but something's going to happen. I have a feeling uh, my co-host Adam will be back and we'll have some more shenanigans for you. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves, wear your mask, stay safe and stay healthy.
Good night. See you later, Taylor. Have a good night. You too.